It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Hey everybody, welcome to yet another episode of Movies You Should Love. I'm Lauren, and with me as always is Scott. Yes, indeed. <laughs> he was going to say his name, and then I stole it. Um, there was no pause. No, no, it was great. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so uh, this time we're kind of doing a special episode here in between some of our other releases. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the new movie Ender's Game that just came out, and also Scott has a, a special project he's working on, which is actually what we're going to talk about first. Um, so, uh, before we do that, if you want to also talk with us about this stuff, you can do it on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash movies you should, or on our Twitter movies, you should, our website movies, you should love.com. Uh, we would love to, uh, talk about all this stuff with you. Um, and I feel like, especially when we get into Ender's game, there's going to be a lot of room for a lot of different kinds of conversations that I think could be a lot of fun to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll get to that in just a minute, but before we do that, uh, Scott, yes, um, you have a project that you are currently working on. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you tell us just a little bit, like, what is this project that you're doing? Okay. Um, it's called Phileas Reed Knows We Are Not Alone. It is a, it's, it's a graphic novel, is what it is. Um, I launched the Kickstarter for it one week ago today. Um, and so we are, we're chugging along, trying to raise money to uh, uh, basically tell this story. It's about uh, Phyllis Reed, who is this uh, theoretical physicist uh, set in the 1960s. Um, and he is he's a character who at the beginning of this story is trying to uh, he's trying to make the world a better place. And uh, he believes that uh, he right at this current moment, like the, the thing he's working on, he's trying to convince people that we're not alone in the universe. And he thinks it's kind of absurd to pretend that we are. And uh, Nobody listens to him, and then um, everybody, you know, finds out that he uh, he may have been right, and uh, it may be too late for us. <laughs> Ooh. Um, all right. Well, before we talk about any more into it, if people want to find yeah. more about this, where can they go? How can they be a part? Uh, that's great. Uh, go to Kickstarter.com. There is a very long address that I could give you, which is Kickstarter.com forward slash, forward slash projects, forward slash TSFog, forward slash Phyllis hyphen read hyphen knows hyphen we hyphen are hyphen not alone. But that seems like a mouthful, and you probably weren't able to write that down. So if, you're, if you are uh, listening to this, either go to Kickstarter and just search for Phyllis Reed, which is uh, Phyllis, like uh, P-H-I-L-E-S, uh, read R-E-I-D, um, search for that. Probably you can probably search for me, Scott Fogg, and you'll probably be able to find it that way. Otherwise, go to our Facebook page. We'll post links there. Go to moviesyoushouldlove.com. We'll have a link there. Um, find us on Tumblr or Twitter. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, everywhere I can. I'm saturating the internet with this link. Um, but for listeners, probably the easiest would just be go to moviesyoushouldlove.com. Go to the Ender's Game uh, page, and there'll be a little bit of art there as well as. Um, yeah, links to everything. Cool. Um, all right, that's awesome. Uh, tell me a little bit about. All right, it sounds it's like a, a period piece, kind of nineteen fifties. Tell me about um, who are you working with on this? Okay, um, 
a group of people. It's actually it's actually kind of a neat story. At least I think it's neat because I've been trying to tell this story for like two years. Um, as probably everybody listening knows, I'm a big film fan, and so the original idea came to me. It was actually in the in the the guise of a film concept. I was like, oh, this would be really great. It could be like these this this aliens invasion. There's this kid, and he meets this girl, and then there'll be this professor character, and there'll be this reporter, and they'll all kind of clash together over this thing. And then I went, oh, this is a hundred million dollar idea. And uh, while I, you know, I make a lot of my own movies, and I know you and I have worked on a lot of things, there's no way we could put the kind of budget together to tell this kind of story. And I'm also not in a position to really be able to pitch this to anybody and sell it. So I was a couple pages into that outline when I kind of stopped and went, well, what if I tell this? Um, I know a way I could tell the story, and I don't need a budget, and it would be in the form of a novel. So I wrote an entire first draft of an entire prose novel that was this story. And I sent it to a couple of friends who read it and gave me some really good feedback. And I was in the middle of the second draft of that. Um, it was earlier this year, in early 2013. I went to Heroes Con, where I met, um, I went there with Dean Tripp, who uh, people may know from this podcast or from uh, other places online. Uh, I went with him, but there I met uh, a guy named Vito Del Sante. Uh, and I was talking to him because he's a writer as well. He's written a lot of different comic books. He's written for Superman and Scooby-Doo and a bunch of great stuff. He actually just had a Kickstarter of his own called Stray that just wrapped up. But anyway, at that time, I was telling him about this story. And I was just going, you know, I'm just having a really hard time finding my narrative voice. Like, I know my story. I just, I'm having a really hard time just telling the story like how to move from one moment to the next and it just i don't like the voice my book has right now and he was like well if it's a if it's a a visual story scott it needs to be a, a visual medium you're telling it in and i was like yeah that's great but um i can't make this movie he's like no make it a comic book and i was like that's great i can't draw he was like, uh, Scott, we know artists. We can make this happen. And so Vito was really kind of the first person on board, and he's going to be lettering the book, which is, you know, drawing up the cool little word balloons and captions and stuff like that. Um, but with his, with his help, we were able to put together a, a pretty cool team. He really he really kind of guided me early on in the, in the pre-production of how to go about doing this. Um, the next step was I talked to Dean. And he drew me some uh, really cool uh, character designs of the four main characters, um, which then I posted online. And Vito shared it, Dean shared it, and it kind of went all over the place. And then I had a bunch of artists start contacting me because I, I posted it saying, I'm looking for an artist to tell this story. And one of those artists was a guy named Mark Thomas, um, who's from uh, Florida. I've never, we've never actually been in the same room. We've had a lot of Skype conversations at this point. Um, emailing and texting each other constantly but he sent me a piece of art that i really really liked um if anybody's familiar with uh the art of Mar uh, mike mignola it actually reminded me a lot of his um he's the artist who kind of uh, he created hellboy as well as he, he drew for batman and a bunch of different things um but i saw that and i was like that is the style for this particular story i like that that is great um and so i contacted mark and it was we've kind of been off to the races so that's basically our team right now Mark is going to be drawing the entire book. Um, Dean is going to be coloring the entire book. Um, and Vito is, like I said, he's lettering it. And um, I'm actually wrapping up the final draft of the script right now um, because that was, that's was that been the interesting thing to me. And, I, and um, I know not everybody's a comic book fan, but what's cool about this, at least from a writer's perspective, is I've now translated this book into three different mediums. <laughs> it started off as a movie idea. Then I went, oh, wait, I can... 
uh, I can deconstruct this and make it a novel. And when I approach it as a novel, you approach it in a completely different way because you just have different expectations for a book. And so it's like I, I've readapted this one story to try to fit the medium two different uh, at least three different times and so now i'm telling the same story but in a comic book and so as a as a comic book it's going to be 100 pages but um it's like i have to address that that medium and also try to address the expectations people have from a visual storybook more or less and so that's been a lot of fun for me and so um someday it, it could still become a movie but like that's that's years and years from now um it's not something i can do so but yeah <laughs> Cool. Um, so, uh, what is it about this book? Like, um, what are comic book people going to really like about this book? Um, for me, it's kind of I'm kind of writing the comic book that um, I'm not seeing on the stand right now. I, I have a pull list. Uh, I have probably for about twelve to twenty books that I pick up a month, um, depending on the month. Um, and I, I'm enjoying all of them. I, I have a very wide range of comics that I pick up from independent publishers to Marvel and DC. Um, but one thing that I'm not seeing is this kind of hero. And th- I mean, this hero does exist, but he exists more in other mediums. Uh, and what I'm trying to say is this isn't a superhero book. This isn't a book with uh, men in tights and capes flying around doing uh, super heroics. Um, this is about um, a group of real people trying to deal with very big situations. And so you have several things going on here. One is the fact that you're dealing with a period piece and dealing with real people. Um, and so, I mean, because that, that's, that's often a thing. I, you hear a lot of comic book fans kind of say that's the reason they like Batman so much. That's the reason they like Daredevil or some of these other characters like Hawkeye because they are just people who are specially trained for this particular mission or situation but then they get thrown up against something that's so much bigger than them and they have to find a way to overcome it that is very much Phileas Reed in this book he's a very smart person he's a he's a doctor like I said he's a a theoretical physicist he worked on the Manhattan Project he's you know let's say borderline genius that being said when a a huge alien spaceship shows up in the sky um, what are you going to (laughs) do you know because a huge alien ship shows up in the sky immediately you have to assume that they're more technologically advanced than us and we can't assume they're coming in peace um how do you broker peace in whatever what do you try to how do you overcome that um and that's one of the things i really like about it um he the book champions several things one is a a non-violent solution to the situations that's not to say there's not going to be a lot of action in the book there is a lot of action in the book lots of running around and flying and lasers and cool stuff the kind of stuff that you know we like about from our sci-fi um but then there's also this core of getting to know people asking questions and learning from people and not immediately jumping to conclusions or assumptions um and that's something that and that's the part that i also really like that there is um it's very important to me that there is something to be taken from this book because it's a book i'm writing for all ages um which means i think you as a 30 year old if you like doctor who if you like the fantastic four um if you like Sherlock Holmes, you like, if you like those kinds of just smart men in a room characters, um, you're going to enjoy this book. Um, but also, I want you to be able to give it to your eight-year-old, um, and it's going to be okay for. Not only is it going to be okay for them to read, um, 
and I don't mean that like, oh, don't worry, they're not going to walk away from that book without any questions. They might. They might have some questions. And I think that's kind of a good thing. I, I want to give children something to digest and something they have to think about and something that may be a conversation starter. I mean, there's nothing really objectionable in the book, but it may lead to like, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And um, I think that's really neat because that's the biggest thing that the comics industry is losing right now, which breaks my heart, is that there's really no books for kids. And so this isn't specifically a kid's book, but it's definitely a book that you could read with your kid. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very cool. Uh, how about somebody like me? Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a big comics person. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm drawn to some of like the ideas that you're, you're saying here. Yeah. What is it about this book that's going to kind of work for somebody who's not necessarily big into the comic world uh what's kind of the unique hook that you've got i mean is this it that you're kind of talking about there's that but there's two very specific things i kind of kind of wrote it with you in mind oh thanks (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's something that i learned from alan moore um i know i've never met alan moore he's the guy who wrote you know uh watchmen and v for vendetta um he every time he would write comics he kind of wanted to write it so that if this was your first time reading a comic book, you wouldn't get lost. You wouldn't be like, Ugh. and even Kelly, my wife, um, she sometimes will look at a comic book and go, it's just so overwhelming. There's just so much going on. And so I try to do two things. This one, the first thing I would say, it's a very cinematic story. It's a story that as a person who loves film and a person who loves that style of storytelling, it is very cinematic. Um, I hope that doesn't turn off any comic book readers i know some there's a a faction of people who are like uh all these comic books are just you know blueprints for movies that's not what i'm trying to do um but it is cinematic which means if you walk into it you're going to understand kind of the a little bit of the tropes of what's going on uh you'll understand the the prologue leading to the flashback and it'll all flow in a very easily digestible way the other thing is i'm being very conservative with the page layouts i want it to be easy for anybody to pick up i don't want you to have to know oh this is a double page spread which means you have to read left to right left to right across two pages i'm really trying to keep it simple so that um you know where to look you can understand the story and i'm trying to fill the panels with the kind of information that will help ben- you know will benefit the story but won't overwhelm you and it won't also be so Alan Moore would do this sometimes, and Alan Moore people. The reason people love Alan Moore is like his books are infinitely rereadable because he would just put so much information in every single panel that when you read it a second time or third time, you're still picking up on that little detail in the back corner. This book isn't going to have that. (laughs) (laughs) It's great, and I love what he did. But for this, this book, like I said, it's a book that I want to have. Um, it's going to be easy for you to pick up. It's going to be easy for a, a six-year-old to pick up and, and understand the story. Um, I'm putting a lot of information in there, but it's more about the human emotions. Like there's very, there's some very specific things that um, I've been giving Mark, our artist. You know, like make sure you know this panel right here. I want it all on his face. We need to see that. We need to feel that. And so I'm trying to give it as much. Um, as much on the surface detail as you need to kind of take in the story. I know at, at the end of the day, though, it may be a medium that you're not interested in, and I don't really hold that against anybody, but it is definitely a story that I have tried to... I mean, I have told the story now, at least in my head, in three different mediums, and so it's one that is very aware of the medium that it is currently in, but also one that tries to include as many 
people as possible if that makes sense yeah no that makes perfect sense um okay so if people are interested i'm yes. kind of at the top here um but you're on kickstarter with it now yes um what what can people do um why kickstarter and what can people do to help with it why kickstarter um very simply we kind of made the decision mark and i were talking about it we were putting a pitch together because we were going to initially try to uh go to marvel go to dc go to we made a basically this long list of publishing companies that were taking submissions at this time and we were putting this together and we started talking about it and we went you know what let's do this ourselves let's just self-publish this thing and then let's take it to comic book conventions next year let's you know take it to our local comic book stores that sounds more fun <laughs> than trying to impress people with our vision and you know doing it that way and so um once we had that idea we loved it and then we immediately recognized that it costs money to uh publish something <laughs> and so we went to kickstarter that was this kind of like well honestly that's where we have to go because we are all uh we're all working we all have families we all have bills um we don't necessarily have the kind of money it takes to uh publish this and so we went to kickstarter and um that's you know if you go there and you see the amount we're, we're aiming for eighty five hundred dollars which sounds like a lot of money uh because it is um but at the end of the day it's also not a lot of money considering how much work is going in and who's getting paid and how much they're getting paid for their work. Um, and then just publishing costs. The major portion of that $8,500 is just publishing. Um, but it's going to be a gorgeous, um, I've already seen this company's work that I'm, we're going through there. It's a company called Print Ninja. And they uh, put out some really, really gorgeous looking books. It's going to be full color uh, front to back. It's going Right now it's going to be a paperback book. Um, stretch goal if we could i would love to make it a hardcover um but first we have to hit that 8500 before we can even start talking about anything like that um so you know that's why so go to kickstarter uh look up phileas reed like i said it's p-h-i-l-e-a-s r-e-i-d look up phileas reed um or just follow the links and uh right now i've been really uh there's a bunch of different rewards that we've come up with. Like you can get, like we just added one today where Dean Trip will draw any superhero for you. And that's the, for $50, you get that plus the book. Um, $25 is you get a physical copy of the book. Um, what, $75, they can be on the podcast with us and, yeah. uh, and we'll do I a whole episode with you. Yeah. You, and uh, we actually have five of those slots. If you yeah. think you'd like to get on here and, um, if you just want to talk to just the two of us, if it's, you know, if you, if it's just like, Oh, I just want to talk with Lauren because Lauren loves these classic movies. And I think he, would. I mean, we can do a whole Lone Ranger episode. That's yeah. all I'm saying. If you, if or, you are the world's other large Lone Ranger nerd person, let's do it. 75 bucks. We can talk the, all day. the Robin Hood Lone Ranger podcast. Yeah. And that would be awesome. Or if you want to get on with me and talk about comic book movies some more, uh, if we haven't driven that into the ground, yeah. if you um, want to like get on and like argue with me about how I'm, you know, totally wrong about comic book movies or yeah. something, you know, whatever you want to do, or you want to get on with the, with the both of us, we have yeah. those slots. And so yeah, that's available. Um, there's a couple of slots available still where you get to actually be a hero in the book. We have, um, I think three of them have already been taken, but we have two more slots where if you want to appear your face your name in the book as one of these characters who helps Phileas um, you can do that I think that's like $150 um, we had two villain slots that have already been filled um, there's all sorts of different tiers different reward packages uh, there's one one of my favorites which nobody has claimed is called the writer's package maybe <laughs> I need to rename it um, 
but it's basically like you not only will you get the book but i'll send you my script of the book so you can actually see how all this stuff was communicated from the a very early stages to the different writers uh not to the different writers, to the different artists who are also working on this so there's a lot of things there or if you don't want a reward if you can't the other thing is um i don't want this to turn into me begging people for money because although I, give money <laughs> um, it's not which, giving you get really is, cool stuff yeah and it is i mean that that's really what's going on here you really are pre-ordering a book um but i also understand this economy i also understand that it's christmas soon i understand there's a lot of things going on um so if all you can do is help me out by spreading the word i would really appreciate that too because um i have a circle of friends and it's pretty large especially on facebook um but I can only reach them. You know people I don't, and you may know people who would be super interested in this. Um, last idea I would give you, this would make a cool Christmas present, even if they don't get it till June. You can say, hey, I did this for you. I put you in the book. That's another cool one is you can be an extra. For $65, we'll draw you in the background of one of the pages reacting or running away from explosion or doing something. You can do that. I already had one person do that for a friend. They're like, I'm doing this, but I want my friend to be in it. Like, sure, absolutely. A uh, cool little thing you can do for somebody. Anyway, that's Phileas Reed. Um, hopefully, that it'll be book one of an ongoing series of graphic novels. Um, yeah, I already have the sec. I'm already outlining the second book. I'm super excited. Cool. Well, we will make sure that we definitely have all of the information up on Movies You Should Love dot com on our Facebook Movies You Should Love or Movies You Should Facebook dot com slash Movies You Should. There you go. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and we'll uh, check it out. It's it's going to be pretty cool, I think. So, I, I'm I'm really excited, and I mean, we we are the the four of us are so dedicated to this that if for some reason the Kickstarter doesn't kickstart the book, uh, we we are trying to form plans on how to continue to tell the story because it's it's a story. It's a group of characters that we all really like, and we kind of feel like this is a story that needs to be told. So. Yeah, it, very will, cool. it will be coming your way whether you like it or not. Somehow you will <laughs> have an opportunity. But uh, yeah, check it out on Kickstarter, definitely. So, um, Phileas Reed is very cool. Yes. Uh, but the real reason we're coming together. Right, yes. Uh, Ender's Game. Yeah. So, uh, I know I've been waiting about, I don't know, 15, 20 years to see a movie of this. Um, I've been waiting about 10 years because sadly I somehow missed this book in my childhood but as soon as I read it I'm like I want to see this yeah and uh, and it's finally here it it came out uh, about a week ago yeah and uh, we have both seen it Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah let's let's get into that let's get into it yeah Um, man I don't even know where to begin actually I do because I don't I don't want to begin here but I kind of feel like we have to start here um, because I meant we're at a place in, in, in life now where you can't mention Ender's Game without mentioning Orson Scott Card. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing because when the book came out, it was just a book. It was just there a wasn't, book. There and wasn't it, a cult of personality around it. Right. And now there is. You know, because right. I mean, he's written, it's been 30 years since that book came out, and now he has all sorts of different books out, all sorts of different series out. He has his own blog, he has his own all sorts of things. And. Here's the thing I will say um, about Orson Scott Card, which is this is there's this unfortunate thing that has happened. Um, at one point, he was just an amazing writer, and I would count him as one of my favorite writers of all time. I have a hard time saying that now because he has become known for a lot of hate speech, for the lack of a better word. Everybody 
you know, I don't know who's listening to this. Everybody is welcome to believe what they want. I have no problem with you. I really don't. I don't really even have a real problem with Orson Scott Card. Um, but he has really published some stuff, especially online and in different speeches, where he's just... He doesn't like certain groups of people, it really t- t- turns out. And what's so flummoxing to me about that is that when you read his books, and I've read, especially well, in the Ender's Universe... Specifically Ender's Game, which is what's yeah, really kind of yeah, funny about the whole thing. Or sad or is, something. It is so much about empathy. Mm-hmm. It is so much about understanding people who are different than you and accepting them and not... <laughs> and not casting stones or whatever you want to you know whatever metaphor to hear and to see the real person it's like i every time i talk about him i kind of go i want to go up to him and go i have a book i want you to read it's called ender's game and if you don't have time for this (laughs) and if you don't have time for the book go watch this movie that just came out yeah and some um there was i found this article online called stranger in a strange land by I don't know how to pronounce this, so I apologize. It looks like Rani or Rani Jazayirli. It's written by a uh, Muslim American who is kind of commenting on a lot of this. And, um, and this, this dichotomy of loving this book and just not knowing what to do with this author. And that's kind of where I am right now, where I go, you guys, Orson Scott Card wrote two of my top ten favorite books of all time. I really can't stand the guy. At least when I hear, when I read the new words he's throwing out there, I don't know what happened to him in the last 30 years. I don't know if he's undergone some kind of change personally, if something happened to him. I don't know. If, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's, it's really unfortunate and it, it makes me kind of sad because his books are beautiful and wonderful. And so they're life affirming and they're so empowering to children. Like I love the, how seriously he treats children in his books that they are these very real people that you should not marginalize or you shouldn't just look down on because they're young. Um, they're, they're amazing books that I would encourage every child to read. Like, every time I meet like, a, a 10-year-old, I'm like, have you read Ender's Game? Mm-hmm. For a book, you want, en- you want Ender's Game? Go, go, find Ender's Game. <laughs> like it, will change it, your, it will change your life just a little bit. It changed mine. And I yeah. was 20 when I read it. I yeah, like, absolutely. Holy cow! You know, it's like, mm-hmm. there, there's, I, and I can say this very openly, there's, there's several very large ideas in Phileas Reed that came to me while I was reading Orson Scott Card's books. You know, it's not that I'm lifting ideas from him, but as I was reading them, my mind was so inspired by different things. I went, oh, well, what about this? And that plays a big part of Phileas Reed. I just, it makes me sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ender's Game is philosophy. The the book is a philosophical book that also happens to be fiction kind of at the same time. Like really good fiction. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, um, and so it, you know, it is one of those things that it it should spark ideas and thoughts and uh, creativity and life change and all of those kinds of things because that's kind of the, I mean that's that's what makes it such an amazing book is it it, it is that book. Yeah, and the the final thought I really kind of have on the subject of the author is there are people who are boycotting the movie, mm-hmm. and there are people who are swearing off his books, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they're wrong to do that. Everybody I, I, has you I, have. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think uh, he has the right to to state his opinions, and people have the right to react to his statements of his opinions. Absolutely. You know, both of those things are incredibly fair reactions for people to have to each other. Absolutely. And, and all of that is, is fair in here. The encouragement I would give people um, is, to, is to be 
intelligent consumers, to be informed consumers, whatever it is. Um, if you are reading a book, know a little bit about the author. If you're watching a movie, know a little bit about the writer or the director. It's really interesting when you get to know, I mean, you start examining anything and you'll start to see, you know, themes and ideas that are, come through. Um, and just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you can't read their book or you shouldn't. I'm not, I'm not telling people to go out. If I'm like, if you're sitting there going, I cannot read this book because I cannot support him. I understand. I'm not telling you to change your mind. What I'm saying is, I think it's also important. This is a lesson I learned from Ender's Game to know your enemy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's like sometimes just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you shouldn't hear them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that is that is the uh, that literally is the point of Ender's Game is that <laughs> yeah. to to overcome your enemy, you have to know them, and in knowing them, you must love them. Yes, that is the the first that, thing you see in the theater. Yeah, when, like, that quote comes up is like in the moment I know my enemy, I love him. You're like, mm-hmm. oh wow. Um, so anyway, inform yourselves, guys, because there's there is a lot of information out there about really anybody you're looking for, and I think it's good for you for us all to know some of that, and it, then take your stands where you have to take your stands, and I, I can't hold that against you. Um, so, but now moving into the movie Ender's Game, um, I was really concerned because this is one of my favorite books of all time, and I was that had a couple things in my head going. Here's what I need this movie to have for me to call this a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they hit it. <laughs> they really did. I, I was, I was, well, here's, here's the deal. I mean, we both earlier this summer had some major disappointments in the, in, in the theater. Um, you know, for me, it was the Lone Ranger. For you, it was Man of Steel. Uh, Man of Steel. Um, and this movie kind of single-handedly, at least for me, redeemed the theater for the year because because those had really kind of crushed my spirit just a little bit yeah and, and it restored <laughs> my hope in people who are adapting things yeah and, and ad- adaptation specifically I was yeah like, oh yeah this can work it made me think of the, our, this very same conversation because during that conversation you asked me what do people who people who are adapting something what do they owe us mm-hmm. as the audience and at the time i was like they don't owe us anything they're making movies um I have a new answer for that because I've seen Ender's Game and I think what they owe the audience is a serious look at the property. Mm -hmm. They need to acknowledge the fact that this is Ender's Game. This isn't sci-fi movie with children. It is a sci-fi movie with children, but if you just want to tell a sci-fi movie with children, go make that. Don't call it Ender's Game. Um, if you're going to make Ender's Game, you need to understand that this is a book that has that has been very popular and been an award-winning book for 30 years. So there are things about that that make it a long-lasting book. Mm-hmm. What are those things? Same, I would say the same thing about The Lone Ranger. If you want to make a cool Western with werewolves, make a Western with werewolves. You know? <laughs> but if you want to make a Lone Ranger movie, understand why that's been a popular character for 100 years. Understand what he stands for. And... I think for Ender's Game, for me, I'm I'm less concerned about a couple of things. I, some people online, I, you're, you're not going to please everybody. Sure. But even when I was walking out of the theater, Kelly and I were like high-fiving each other, going, let's go see that movie again. Yeah. Um, and there was a guy, and we, we were saying that, and there was a guy who went, I noticed they cut out an entire subplot. Me. And I was just like, and I literally, <laughs> I, we, we just kept walking, and I turned and said very loudly, I guess you can't please every nerd. Um, because 
there are things that are cut. And if you walk into this movie wanting to see every single thing that you liked about the book, mm-hmm. it's not going to be yeah. there. No, no. There, there are things that are cut out. There's a couple of composite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, just, uh, it's, it's been condensed. It is not, it is not a 300-page novel. It's not a 300-page novel. It's not that, you know, if you, if you get this on audiobook, it's a 10-hour audiobook. Yeah. We have to make it a two-hour movie, which means there are things that are going to get cut. And I have to really applaud Gavin Hood in this because what he did, the decision, the th- how he just seemed to decide what to cut was this is Ender's story. Mm-hmm. And so the movie is Ender's story, which means the really interesting political stuff, Demosthenes on the on Earth, mm-hmm. is cut. Yeah, yeah Demosthenes because, and Locke are gone. Which, are, which is sad because that's an awesome part of the book. And but, it's a... And it's a great subplot, as yes. as it said, that that really gives you the complete undercurrent of all of the socio political things that are going on, yes. that are kind of the background of what Battle School actually is. Exactly. Um, so that is that's cut, and that is sad. But at the same time, by cutting that, you're able to focus more on Ender. And what Kelly and I were really impressed by in the movie was two. They somehow managed to do two things at the same time, and we had no idea. I'm still amazed that they were able to do this. One was it made us feel like they were taking their time to tell the story. Mm-hmm. The other was they kept the, the story moving along very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all these little details were in the movie that you go, oh, wow, they're including that, too. You know, yes, there are things that are cut. There are there are battles that are cut out of the zero gravity room. You get you still get to see the zero gravity room, and when you do see it, they they lift the battle sequences directly out of the book. Mm-hmm. They don't just go, oh, let's have kids flying in zero gravity. They take like Orson Scott Card's explanation of this is the way the battle went down, and they film that, which mm-hmm. is really amazing. From the you know from Ender you know freezing the kids' legs and sending them out there to tying you know being up with a rope and sending them out there, the different strategies he uses they're all in the movie. They're they just, just kind of compress them all into like one or two yes battles instead of the multiples that occur because that's there, there is definitely a time crunch that also yeah. happens because in the book I think he goes from like five it's, to like ten there's yeah, like a five it's, it's year. several years in battle school this and this happens in like, like 30 it, days or something yeah it, it 60 feels like, days it feels like, like maybe a couple months yeah especially at the end where it's like no no now we have a timeline of one month from this point forward yeah um so I mean, that does happen. There are certain, like you said, certain characters get combined. Certain characters um, have much smaller parts. Mm-hmm. I love uh, that Bean was in there. Yeah, uh, I, I found it pretty funny that Bernard uh, got to be a good guy. Yeah, I like that. that. That's a complete twist, a complete one eighty from uh, Ender's right. Shadow. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's that's the that's the cool thing too. I was really at one time Orson Scott Card was saying the way he would see them making the movie was by combining Ender's Game and Ender's Shadow into one movie, mm-hmm. which they really didn't do. This is a pretty straightforward Ender's Game movie yeah, until well, the, like the last five minutes. Yeah, that was something I was going to touch on. Actually, is that um, if you listen to to Orson Scott Card talk over the over the years about what it would take to turn this into a movie and if, his you, big, get, if you get any of the audiobooks like every audiobook ends with like 20 minutes of his, of his, of his conversation discussion. basically yeah. his his big thing is that he's always held that it has to have child stars yes and that most studios are going to want to take it up to like a teenage level so, you can so that romance. so that you can have a romance and he's like okay we've got to keep these these people kids we've got to make sure there's no romance um and combining these two stories is really the way to do it. So I thought it was actually really funny watching the movie. Uh, they did keep them kids, but they're not like 
you know, six years they're old like, when it like starts. They're like 10 years old. They're like 10 years old. Uh, if 10, 10, 12, but it's, it's that borderline. They're still not teens. So he, well, that even one, like, even like Bonzo, I think, yeah. Bonzo, I think he's even in the book, I think he's supposed to be like 15. Yeah. And he's definitely seems older in the movie as well. Yeah. But yeah, his big push was always Ender has to be young because yeah. Ender trusts implicitly. And once you, and that's something that happens in childhood that doesn't happen as a teenager. Once you're a teenager, you're like, no, I am yeah. not doing it your way. What is this? What's going on? Ender has to trust. And I thought they walked that line really yeah. well. So, and that that was the big thing that they really did manage to keep, I think, from his list. Because they also did almost put in a slight romance, but they kind of kept it from actually going into the romance world. Which is interesting because what I thought about that is like they, 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 it's very contained, mm-hmm. but uh, is something going to happen? Which is funny because that's how I felt reading the book. Yeah. That's the other thing that happens in an Orson Scott card book, especially in Ender's Game. You're reading this book and then you forget you're reading about eight-year-olds because they're so intelligent um, that you're kind of going, well, I hope they hook up. Mm-hmm. They seem like really... Petra, and you're like, no, Petra they're eight. Ender? Like, wait, they're eight. What am I doing? Yeah. Um, and... And, yeah. and in the movie, it gave me the same feeling of like, oh, they work great together. They should totally hook up. What am I talking about? And so like, they, 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 Petra and they never kiss. There's never really anything. There's it's just still, a connection between them. There's like, definitely a connection. And yeah. there's, I, I like that. I like that there's a, a platonic, very strong connection between two people of the opposite sex where it's like mm-hmm. you could see them developing a relationship. Ten years down the road, five years down the road, you can Honestly, see that happening. Uh, you know, a couple thousand years down the road, right. based on the way things time work. travel. <laughs> uh, but um, it doesn't happen in the movie. Yeah, you know, there isn't there isn't that. Yeah, and being a fan of the books, knowing where Petra heads from here, I liked that. I liked yeah. that they stayed true to that. Yeah. The other thing I got a, the biggest kick out of was the groundwork they laid for Speaker for the Dead. Which is the second book in this series, which I do not know how they'll ever be able to make, if they ever will. Well, because that's such a fascinating, because Brandy and I were talking about that on the way out, is like, how do you go to Speaker of the Dead? Because it's a complete opposite of the, like, this is big space battles, this is, you know, this big action movie. Ender's Game is like, science fiction with philosophy. Mm. Speaker of the Dead is like, philosophy. Philosophy with a murder mystery slash uh, a little bit sci-fi. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like Speaker Dead would make a better miniseries than a movie, but I'm not saying it couldn't be done. It's just people would have to completely adjust their expectations because it's a different movie entirely. Yeah. Like the Bean books really are the continuation of. The, if you want the sci-fi spectacle, mm-hmm. you need to go the Shadow route and do yeah the Shadow the Shadow of the Hegemon yeah series yeah. Um, but like I I wasn't expecting it when uh, Mazer Rackham shows up. And he mentions because he, he's got tattoos in this. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of say he's a Maori gen, uh, tribesman or uh, general, and he's not. He's Gandhi. He's Gandhi. But anyway, <laughs> uh, he's like, oh, I wear these tattoos to remind me of my family. It's how I speak for the dead. And I gasped out uh-huh. loud. You're I was like, oh. that was the, the coolest moment. And maybe nobody else in the, in the whole auditorium heard it, but. Mm-hmm. They just gave Mazer Rackham this moment of like implanting this seed mm-hmm. in Ender of what he's going to become, and yeah. that was like the coolest thing. I just was like, I love this movie so much right now. <laughs> yeah, that and uh, 
you know the whole the whole video game thing in it. I thought yeah. they handled that really really well, taking it all the way to yeah. to the queen at the end, connecting it to the queen, which is cool because that's something that doesn't really come into play until again, Speaker of the Dead, mm-hmm. where they explain that connection of why that was happening, what's going on, and um, really use the birth of Jane through mm-hmm. that. Yeah, uh, which is a, a character not appearing in this movie because she's not in that book. Um, and that's the other thing. I heard some people complaining about the end of this movie because the end of this movie doesn't appear in the book. Um, it barely appears in any book, but it is definitely referenced in Speaker of the Dead. Um, and it, do we want to? I mean, we can spoil that. I mean, if no, you're no. listening to this, yeah, uh, I would say uh, fast forward five minutes or something. Um, yeah. You know, if if you don't want to spoilers at this spoil. point, um, but yeah, at, at the end of the at the end of the movie, basically, Ender has committed genocide on this. He's destroyed an entire planet of uh, of these creatures yeah. called the Formics. Uh, yeah, this, this species, basically. I mean, he the assumption is like this is the end of them as a species. Yes, and then at the end of after that, he has a dream where he kind of. He's sleeping, and maybe he's dreaming or not, but like, he kind of puts all these different pieces together that kind of it goes back to the very beginning of the movie. Like, all, everything that's kind of led up to this point has been this uh, this queen. She's kind of... Th- this this species is a very bug-like... They call them buggers as a uh, pejorative. Um, they're called the formics. But she is able, she's been communicating with Ender psychically, more or less, through... Um, <laughs> through the Ansible, which is a whole other thing, yeah, which um, they they never even tackle that in the they, in the movie. They, they mention it. I, I, mm-hmm. They go, "Oh, Ansible!" I'm like, "Oh, look, they said the Ansible." <laughs> um, they but will not uh, explain. But it turns out this there's a queen left. There's been the, the entire species has been destroyed, but there's one queen left. If you want to think of like a, the queen of an ant colony or queen bee, she's the one who she has the potential to repopulate. Mm-hmm. And so he goes out and he finds this egg of this new queen, and he takes her because. Um, he is devastated with what he has done because that's the whole. I mean, that's that's the big twist. That's that's in the movie. It's in the book, which is Ender thinks he's playing a video game, and it turns out he's actually been controlling um, real, real human lives and has actually just destroyed an actual planet and destroyed and wiped out an entire species out of the universe, as, as well as an entire human fleet. And, right. I he, mean, he, he's making sacrifice. He's making the kind of calls a general has to make in battle. But he, we're talking about a ten-year-old kid here who now also has to grapple with the fact that he just killed 10,000 human beings on that one ship when he said yeah leave that ship no one cares about that ship because he's making this he's making a play but he's making a play because he thinks he's playing a video game mm-hmm. so the movie ends really beautifully with him going um I can I can atone for this you know I can, yeah, I can make it's this his chance at redemption and basically. so he's, he's going to take this queen and try to find a new planet to put her on where she mm-hmm. can repopulate which again that's not how Ender's game ends the book mm-hmm. um, but the, that is the, over the course of the next three books that's the that's story the, that. that's the story and so they, they are setting that up and I thought that was very well done because the way Ender's game the book ends is very abrupt and is very like this kind of moment where it's like okay now it's going to get splintered and we're going to go to two different book series directions from here and mm-hmm. um this to me felt like a more complete journey for ender if you look at him as a character um it's a good place to end it like going he starts off this way he does this he ends here and and it's the direction that card went originally with the book series i mean like he didn't he didn't go into all the shadow and bean and all of that right. kind of stuff that was you know what 20 years after he had written the first book he finally went back to some of that and yeah you know, my understanding but he, too go ahead 
Yeah, but he did go into Speaker of the Dead and and the continued life of of the Queen and everything. Like that's that's where he went with the story. That's that was his intention of the story. Right, and my understanding too is that he actually had he either had written Speaker of the Dead first or he had that idea. He goes, I have this book, but in order to publish this book, I have, I have to, to do Ender's Game first. Yeah, so he goes back to do Ender's Game because he has to set Ender up as this kind of horrible human being. I mean, you've, you you. He's a he's a child, but he has to commit this great atrocity in order for him to have the journey he has in the later books. Um, so yeah, I mean, from uh, I, I got into an argument online, which is what the internet is created for. Um, about <laughs> when did the this. Nazis come into it? <laughs> they did this time. Oh, well, uh, it's not it's not done yet. Then, <laughs> but. Um, Somebody was complaining about the oh they changed this they changed that uh, Anderson's a woman now and she's empathetic uh, uh, all these different changes and um, my what I told this person what I will tell everybody is um, there's a lot of terrible adaptations I'm not going to say there isn't um, this isn't one of them yeah this is a very smart adaptation that takes the characters and the story very seriously and treats them very well there are but if you go in with a magnifying glass the way a lot of us i mean i was very i was very uh rude or pejorative to the person i called a nerd in the theater going yeah you can't please all the nerds um i'm one of them i do definitely go into movies that's why i didn't like man of steel so i went in with a magnifying glass and there were things about it that just drove me nuts about the changes in the character if you go into a movie like this with a magnifying glass, you'll find things that bug you. You you won't like the way that this plays out. You know, when he goes back to Earth and sees his sister, it plays differently than it does in the book because the situation has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, it captures the heart of that scene. Right. That's the thing. It's like they have they have taken all the elements of the book, and what I would say is the this is what I want from an adaptation is I want the movie to make me feel the same feelings I felt when I read the book. Mm-hmm. Or if you've never read the book, I want you to watch this movie and go, that was good. And I go, yeah, now go read the book because there, everything you loved will be in the book. And there's actually more. And that's, that's what I want from people. That's what I want from comic book uh, fans, book fans, movie fans. I would love for us to talk more about the positive stuff because I feel like when we talk about the negative stuff, we actually draw people, we push people away. And so this movie just came out. If you're interested in this kind of thing, I think you should go see it. And if you like it, I think you should read the books. Yeah, I, I would completely say the same thing. Or if you think you might like the movie and you might like the books, maybe read the books first and then go see the movie. Like either, either way is a perfectly valid way to go do it. I think that they complement each other. Yeah. Um, and uh, you'll, you'll get some stuff out of both of them. Um, and I think that's good. Yeah. There's some really cool, innovative stuff that they do in this movie too, with the adaptation, mm-hmm. the battle room um, at the end when he's commanding the fleet. Mm-hmm. Was- yeah. It was really cool. Kelly pointed out something that I want to watch it again because she goes, he was actually also simultaneously directing the the fleet and the edit of the film. The way he was moving things around was like it was almost like he was editing the film of what you were seeing. Like now cut here, now cut there, now go to that. And it's like that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was a really, really well done thing because uh, that that really seemed like almost more impossible than the battle room to figure out was how yeah. to show all of these commanders and th- and they just it, it, it's seamless and it works brilliantly it's yeah. I, th- I think it's a huge achievement that they were even able to do that yeah yeah i completely agree um i 
I have no complaints about this movie really in any way. It's um, it's it's better than the movie I was expecting to get. You yeah. know, I kind of walked in going, "Nah, they're going to do this and this," and I went, "Oh, it's all here. This is this is this is great." <laughs> I, I completely agree. It, I, you know, it's it's it has everything that makes you feel about the first movie. I mean, the there's just enough brutal violence in it with the children to put you on edge, just like the book does. Yeah. There's just enough um, hope and kindness and love that these children have, you know, and innocence to give you the hope that is in the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very much, they've captured a lot of the essence of, of what really makes the story tick. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, uh, to me, that's a huge achievement. Um, yeah, that, that that was one of my big concerns going in, especially considering how conscious we conscious we are of bullying now. Mm-hmm. Is that bullies and fighting between children is a very big part of this book, and even going into the mm-hmm. future books, um, they handle it very well. They handle it in a way that's it's a little frightening sometimes because. I think that's the other thing Card does really well is that he kind of actually reminds you of what childhood actually was like, like how cruel children can be to each other. And you have a character in Ender who has to make these decisions on how to deal with these people. And I'm not saying he deals with it in the way you'd want your child to deal with it. He, he deals with it in the way that the military needs him to deal with it. Yeah. He, he, he goes into these situations. If you haven't read the books or um, watched the movie, yeah. he goes into this fight going, how do I win this fight? and every other fight ever if this is the only fight I ever have to fight. Right? It's like, so he's right. like, if well, I, he could, if Because I, if he'd, I he'd much rather only have the one fight yes. than 500 fights. It's so, much better to win the war than just the battle. If is I what can he's win thinking. this war with this one fight, what do I need to do? And it leads to some pretty brutal results. Moments. Yeah. yeah, moments. And they, they play it well in the movie to keep it PG-13. Because in the, in the book, I think if you actually made the book or a movie as brutal as the book, I think you could be looking at an R yeah. pretty quickly. Well, and especially because especially you're dealing with six-year-old kids at the beginning. Exactly. Of it. So, like, it's, exactly. it's even more... Um, uh, you know, and that's, that's the big thing I will say about this, about both the book and the movie, is that part of the, the thing I love about it is not a book that is creating a specific philosophy. Mm-hmm. The philosophy of it is getting you to think about what you think about it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's okay. Here's this story. Here's these characters. Here's why these different characters think the way they do and do what they do. Yes. Do you agree with them? Do you disagree with them? And Ender's the hero, but at the end of the day, he commits genocide. Is that correct? Is that okay? (laughs) Yeah. You still like him as a person, but at the same time, do you agree with his decisions? Would you have followed him? Yeah. Were some of these other characters who actually maybe did worse things, but were more empathetic? Like, these are the questions it leaves you with. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a complicated, complex story that doesn't... Um, it, it's not about just a little happy ending and, and, a, and a nice little story. It's, it's, yep. a very, it's a very twisted around kind of story that yep. leaves you questioning a lot of things. And that's one of the complaints I heard was about the change in the, uh, the Colonel Major Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, not only is uh, in the book, you, I'm not sure if we actually ever know the sex of the character. Somebody says, somebody pointed out that in the book, it's Anderson specifically a man. I'm not sure about that. But what I do know is that the character was changed to be more empathetic. Um, 
in, in the Anderson's played by Viola Davis in the movie, and um, she is empathetic towards Ender. She definitely starts off the starts off the movie and very much you know let's we have to isolate him we have to do these things but as she sees the way ender responds to that isolation and responds to these situations she starts to go this is a kid we can't do that and she is that voice mm-hmm. and which is why i have no problem with those changes to that character is because i think we need to kind of remind people a little bit in this movie um i don't know if this is okay we need to remind people of that question and not just have everybody get on board yeah. with the crazy people. Uh, again, I think that's an important part of the adaptation process is in, in a book, you know, in a book you have time on your side. You have yeah. the luxury of setting it down and thinking and walking away and in a movie yeah. you're just getting the thing in 2 hours. You have to have a voice within that that can act as your conscience because yeah. because you are not engaged in the same way that you are with a book. You have to have a, a different approach to it. You have to get to the entire story and that emotional spectrum and that the thought spectrum mm-hmm. in two hours. And yeah. you may hopefully you'll leave the theater with some of those thoughts and questions and ideas still rattling around in your head. But you're right. When you read a book, it can take you in between a, a full day to a full month to read a mm-hmm. book. And you get to process all of that as you go through it when you're driving in the car when you can't read it, when you are whatever. Mm-hmm. Um Absolutely, and so like, yeah, some of those some of those changes that were made, um, I understand why they made them, and I don't have a problem with them. I feel like this was a much more deftly handled adaptation than a lot of things, honestly. Yeah. Um, when you look at uh, Man of Steel, when you look at um, Lone Ranger, when you look at some of the Harry Potter books, you know, it's like you can't just lift scenes and film them. You need to build a narrative <laughs> and I you, like that was you a can very if strong... you have a reason for doing it but you have yeah. to have more of a reason than just because it was there yeah, exactly and i feel like i feel like there was it was a very well handled narrative like yeah this is the story mm-hmm. <laughs> this yeah. is the story you know this is the story of ender's game mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and so uh, i i think i would just end it by saying there's there's lots of reasons why i can imagine why people wouldn't go to see it whether yeah. it's just they're not interested in sci-fi or whether they're not interested in orson scott card but if you have any ounce of interest in it you should go see it because it's it's yeah. it's well done and it's it's well worth your time if you're interested in the movie. I, I would also I would also add the caveat that if you're not normally a sci-fi person, this may be the one that yeah. gets you in. Like when I watched, my dad's not into sci-fi. Yeah, but I walked out of it going, I want my dad to watch this because he is a, he's an educator. He's a principal at a elementary school, and he's he's ex-military, and yeah. so it's like I think there's several parts of this movie that he would respond to, and he could use in his day-to-day life you know i think i think he'd respond to the the planning and like how precise ender is and i think he would really like graph Mm -hmm. and i think he you know seeing the way the kids interact with each other i think he would like because the sci-fi is definitely there i'm not saying it's just in the background but it's definitely also a very military very army it's it's sci-fi at the use of the story, right. it's it's sci-fi because that gives you a place to explore these concepts. It's it's really yeah. like I said, it's a it's a it's philosophy. It's it's um, all about thinking through these topics, mm-hmm. and you know, it's not the, the explosions are a bonus. You know, it's not about yeah. the explosions. It's exactly. not about space battles or that we, kind of thing. You, we only have like one alien in the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and and it, it's there, and that alien is there to serve a purpose, not to be like, oh, look, an alien that they can fight. Yeah, it's it's there specifically for a reason. Yeah, 
Um, and so, uh, yeah, if you're not a sci-fi person, hey, you probably haven't listened to all of this podcast. At this yeah, point. you probably but, passed over this one. Yeah, <laughs> but if, if you're there, uh, this would uh, this book is is you know the book has been one where people have asked me in the yeah. past like I'm interested in sci-fi. I've never read any. Where should I start with it? This is the book I always tell people to start with. This this is how I got my wife interested in, in science mm-hmm. fiction was Ender's Game. This is where she started reading um, after we got married. Yeah. Um, you know, she's still not a huge fan, but she loved Ender's Game. Yeah. Um, well, to me, and, it's it's kind yeah. of like when you, if you, if you're working your way through the AFI Top 100, you're going to hit Blade Runner, and you're going to be yeah. happy you watched it. It's a sci-fi film. I kind of almost put it in that kind of category of science fiction of like, yeah, there's there's robots in that, and there's flying cars. There's it's a science fiction film, but, but there's really, a lot it's a more going yeah. on there. But really, it's a philosophical 1940s uh, film exactly. noir mystery, and that's kind of the same category. Ender's Game belongs in, whether you think it's as good as Blade Runner or not, that's not what I'm trying to say. It's, yeah, this is that kind of movie. Yeah. So cool. Uh, so yeah, that wraps this up, and I will say we will try to, uh, we're going to, we have a plan to get back on schedule for those of you subscribing. I know it's been, uh, it's been a little while since we've released an episode. Uh, we've had a lot going on, if you couldn't tell from earlier, between our <laughs> jobs and uh, different projects going on. It has made uh, coordinating recording this a little bit more difficult but we have a plan in place and so we should be getting back on schedule for um, a regularly released podcast soon <laughs> indeed so uh, sorry for the delays and so forth but we're we're, we're coming back at you yeah so thanks thanks so much you guys for listening thanks so much for uh, your support and I love that you know you guys are still coming to our Facebook page and to our, our website please yeah. come back at movies you should love.com for uh, extra links about Ender's Game and Orson Scott Card, as well as the Phileas Reed. I was going to say Phileas Reed. Definitely check out Scott's Kickstarter. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff here. You know, he and I have talked a lot about it. We tried to give you a little bit about it here at the beginning of this. Um, yeah, but it's it's, it's going to be a really cool project, I think. And uh, I appreciate that. And you know, that's the final thing I'll say about Phileas Reed is that he is definitely a character born out of this kind of philosophical science fiction. That's the kind of thing that I like, and so that's what you can actually kind of expect. I don't want to... Man, I see, I have such a hard time selling myself. I love Orson Scott Card's book so much. I don't want to say it's going to be just like that. But I kind of... That's the direction I'm trying to head with my own writing, is let's make this philosophical. Let's make this explosion-y. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, we'll get you links to that on our yeah. website. MoviesYouShouldLove.com, Facebook.com slash MoviesYouShould, or on Twitter, MoviesYouShould. Yes. So, uh, until next time, we are Lauren, and I'll let Scott have the last word. Scott. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> See you all later. See ya. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at MoviesYouShouldLove.com. 